So uh, Numbers 18 is uh, what we're in this evening. Like I said this morning, we are uh, resuming our study back in uh, the book of Numbers after taking a hiatus to uh, look through an interpretation of Scripture. And uh, uh, this go around as we, as we move through it, as we rotate, we'll be rotating with uh, some of the men again, uh, teaching through it. Our, our emphasis is um, uh, not going to be what it was our first, the, the first half going through it, where we were really emphasizing um, preaching from the Old Testament. And now what I was just saying to the men is just, let's just focus on, on teaching, getting through, uh, not just getting through the material, but explaining um, what's going on in the text and just emphasizing the, the teaching aspect. And um, uh, e- each one may do it a little bit different. So I said, you know, if you want to ask questions uh, during it, you want to do a handout or anything like that, that's, uh, that's totally fine. But we're just going to exercise uh, and give opportunities for uh, teaching um, to be exercised. Um, but like I said, we're going to pick back up in uh, Numbers 18, where we left off. And uh, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, uh, but I do want to begin by reading verse 1 uh, down to verse 7. We'll read that first, uh, first section, and then we'll just flip over and read uh, 25 to the end of the chapter. So uh, Numbers chapter 18, beginning in verse 1, we read here, it says, So the Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons and your father's house with you shall bear iniquity connected with the sanctuary. And you and your sons uh, with you shall bear iniquity connected with your priesthood. And with you bring your brothers also, the tribe of Levi, the tribe of your father, that they may join you and minister to you while you and your sons with you are before the tent of the testimony. They shall keep guard over you and over the whole tent, but shall not come near to the vessels of the sanctuary or to the altar, lest they and you die. They shall join you and keep guard over the tent of meeting for all the service of the tent, And no outsider shall come near you. And you shall keep guard over the sanctuary and over the altar, that there may never again be wrath on the people of Israel. And behold, I have taken your brothers, the Levites, from among the people of Israel. They are a gift to you, given to the Lord to do the service of the tent of meeting. And you and your sons with you shall guard your priesthood, For all that concerns the altar and that is within the veil, and you shall serve. I give your priesthood as a gift, and any outsider who comes near shall be put to death. And then this middle section is dealing with how and why the priesthood uh, is a gift, how the priest will be um, cared for, how the Levites will be cared for. Um, they They will receive from the tithes of the people of Israel, and then we Uh, Pick up in verse 25. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Moreover, you shall speak and say to the Levites, When you take from the people of Israel the tithe that I have given you from them for your inheritance, which is what that middle section is, is talking about, then you shall present a contribution from it to the Lord, a tithe of the tithe. And your contribution shall be counted to you as though it were the grain of the threshing floor 
and as the fullness of the winepress. So you shall also present a contribution to the Lord from all your tithes, which you receive from the people of Israel. And from it you shall give the Lord's contribution to Aaron the priest. Out of all the gifts to you, you shall present every contribution due to the Lord. From each its best part is to be dedicated. Therefore you shall say to them, when you have offered from it the best of it, then the rest shall be counted to the Levites as produce of the threshing floor and as produce of the winepress. And you may eat it in any place, you and your households, for it is your reward in return for your service in the tent of meeting. And you shall bear no sin by reason of it, when you have contributed the best of it. But you shall not profane the holy things of the people of Israel, lest you die. Now, um, just by way of uh, reminder and by way of establishing our context, where we're picking up uh, in this passage, of course, this, this comes on the heels of that uh, pivotal moment in Israel's history where the priesthood was being challenged. Um, last time we were, we were going through chapters 16 and 17, which tells us the story of, of Korah and uh, his rebellion. God had, of course, um, designated certain responsibilities to the family of Aaron and as well to, to the entire tribe of, of Levi. So Aaron and his family, earlier we read in the book of Numbers, they have, they have responsibility of ministering within the actual tabernacle itself. And, and, and some of them have you know, authority um, to actual, actually handle some of the, uh, the holy things. They, they are given the responsibility of offering the sacrifices on behalf of Israel. Uh, and then we saw as well that um, the Levites were divided into three uh, main other clans, and they were given the responsibility of guarding the outside of the tabernacle, uh, but also whenever the tabernacle was to be broken down and, and, and carried along in the wilderness, whenever they were uh, moving around, they were given specific responsibilities about handling different aspects of the tabernacle. So there was you know, one, one group, one family, one clan, if you will, um, that was you know, called to break down the tabernacle, and they, they uh, maybe you know, carried the poles around and the curtains, and then there was a, you know, another family that had the responsibility of uh, carrying some of the things within the actual uh, tabernacle itself, uh, caring for the, the bread of presence or the table where the bread of presence was and the lampstand. And they had to make sure that it was covered properly. They couldn't look at it. And Aaron and his family had to make sure that nobody looked at these holy things. But, but the, the point was, God had designated certain responsibilities to certain people and certain families. And uh, when we were in um, chapter 16 in particular, what we saw was that uh, those instructions weren't sufficient for some of the people in, in Israel. Uh, an issue of jealousy, we see, arises. There is a challenge that comes to the priesthood of Aaron. And we saw that there was this 
um, deceptive use of theology, if you will, in order to justify uh, this challenge to, to Aaron and, and Moses. One of the things that was said to all the people of Israel um, against Moses and Aaron is that all the people of Israel are holy. And what they concluded from that is that anyone, therefore, can minister in the tabernacle. Anyone can handle the, the most holy things. Anyone can enter into the most holy place. There's nothing, Aaron, that you are doing that we shouldn't be allowed to do because all of us are holy. And we looked at the fact that, that was, it was like taking a truth of Scripture. Namely, that the people of Israel were holy and then using that to disregard other instructions that God had given to the people of Israel. And you know, kind of made the comparison how that often happens even within uh, the wider church world, right? Where um, especially when it comes to who, who can serve as an elder, you know, can, can women serve as elders? And often, you know, the, the argument is, is like, I mean, you've even probably heard it recently from, you know, the famed Rick Warren, right? We're all given the task of the Great Commission, right? That, that's true. And then the conclusion is, therefore, anyone, men or women, can serve as pastors in the church. It's, it's taking a truth in Scripture to then disregard other things that God has said and, and ways uh, by which He he orders his people, orders his institutions like the priesthood and, and like the church. So you have this challenge that arose from Korah and those who followed him that was uh, challenging the authority of Aaron and Moses in uh, the priesthood. And of course, uh, because of their rebellion, there came consequences on the people uh, who were joined to him and on the whole nation of Israel, the, the earth swallowed up Korah and some who were with him, his family. There was fire that went out before the Lord and consumed others. There was even a, a plague that broke out against all of the nation of Israel. And so judgment came upon uh, these people because they were rebelling against God's ordinances and priesthood. And then in chapter 17, um, the Lord uh, here is uh, again making the point that it is Aaron and his family that he's giving the priesthood to. And so he, he instructs the people of Israel, you'll remember, to, to take staffs, uh, 12 staffs that all represent each of the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel, and they were to write the names of the tribe. The tribes on these staffs and one of the staffs would have the name of Aaron on it and they were to place it uh, within the tabernacle overnight and whichever staff then budded that would be the staff that designates who the priesthood belongs to and of course they they do that and wouldn't you know Aaron's staff buds just like the Lord said it would. And so again, God is saying that the priesthood belongs to Aaron and his family. This is another confirmation of that in chapter 17. And 
at the end of that chapter, the people realized that they had sinned by trying to come near to the Lord in the tabernacle, which they were not authorized to do so. And at the very end of the chapter, they ask, are we all to perish? Because we have done this, because we've sinned in this way, because we are in an unauthorized manner, we are and we have come into the tabernacle. Is the whole nation now going to perish? And in response, we then come to chapter 18, where the Lord says here that Aaron's house and the Levites are going to be the ones who bear the iniquity connected with the sanctuary. They have the responsibility of guarding the sanctuary, of of guarding the tabernacle, and who can come in and who can come out. And if they fail in that task, they will be the ones who bear the consequences of the iniquity related to the sanctuary. Not all of the people. Now it's a, 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 if you will, a a weighty task uh, that's given to Aaron and the Levites. If the priests fail, if they do not do their job of working in and guarding the tabernacle, it will be uh, the priests who suffer for it. And so this chapter addresses some of the um, unique responsibilities as well as the privileges of the house of Aaron and the Levites that are tied to their duties in the sanctuary. Now, um, verses 1-7 to describe the uh, role of the priesthood and the Levites among Israel. And really, the the main point here in in this particular section is that they are, again, they're the ones who are going to bear sin that is connected to the sanctuary. If there are violations, if there are intrusions by unauthorized people into the sanctuary, the Levites and the priests responsible are going to be the ones who are held accountable, right? That, of course, um, that is a weighty responsibility, right? The, the, the guarding is a very real guarding, right? You, you can't be, you know, like a, you know, a, a terrible mall cop or so, someone who's just, you know, falling asleep on the job and, you know, people are coming in and coming out. Because if, if that happens, it's going to warrant the death penalty. Because it's just like offering unauthorized fire, like Nadab and Abihu did, bringing unclean things into the holy space of God. It will bring death to them. Right? So there's a, there's a weighty responsibility. Their job, we might say, is one of the most dangerous ones on the planet. Right? You, know, you can think of people who've got to like climb up on towers and you know, do things that are really dangerous. Well, well The Levites and the priests, they have a dangerous job because if they fail in their responsibility to guard the tabernacle and to work in it properly, they're going to die. Because of this responsibility, however, and its weightiness, they are also also going to be rewarded. 
right? So there's, a, there's an equal, um, if you will, a, a, or a measure of, of compensation for the seriousness of the task that they are charged with. Verse 7, in fact, says that the priesthood is a gift to them. Right? So, so lest you, you know, you're, you're, you're part of Aaron's family, you're part of the, the Levites, and, and you know your life could be on the line, lest you think that this is just a, an, an unbearable burden and you don't want anything to do with it, God is also saying here, this is a gift. Right? So it's, it's a weighty task, but it's also a gift to them. Verses um, 8 to 24 then describes some of the ways uh, in which it is a gift. It describes the rewards that are going to come with their work in the tabernacle, their, their compensation for their service. Now, um, before getting into to this particular section, I think it's worth remembering the context that the priest and Levites were coming into. I want you to look with me down at verse 20. Uh, verse 20 and, and uh, the end of verse 24. Verse 20 says, uh, And the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in their land, neither shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. And if you skip down to the end of verse uh, 24, um, something similar is said. It says, Therefore I have said of them, that is the Levites, that they shall have no inheritance among the people of Israel. Right? So the Levites, we, we looked at this a little bit you know, this morning, but the Levites have no inheritance at all in the land. You know, there's, there's some exceptions with the, the cities of refuge, but these are not you know, large territories where you, know, you can farm a lot of land and have a great harvest of, of crops. And, and the fact that they don't have any land, that, that's a real problem in terms of caring for themselves. You've you got to remember, right, this, this is an agrarian society. We don't have, uh, you know, we, we don't, they, they were not living in the world that we live in where you just, you know, go down to the, the grocery store and somehow the chicken just appeared there. We, we never know how it got there. We don't know how the vegetables got there. Apparently just Walmart produces them and voila, you know, they appear, right? And you, you had to grow your own food. Um, and, and a lot of people, that's how they, they made money too, right? They're farmers. So, you know, you got maybe one person and they've got all of this acreage and they're, they're growing a vineyard on it. That's their specialty, right? They're, they're making wine. They're, you know, selling the, the fruit. Um, but maybe they don't have uh, corn and grain and, and all that. So they, they need their, the other farmer to provide that for them. So it's a very agrarian society. And therefore, if you don't have land, you don't have a way of providing for yourself. There may be, you know, a couple of special cases, you know, here and there where, you know, some people figure out some way to, maybe merchants and they're getting involved in trade, but by and large, a whole people, namely the Levites, are not going to be able to survive 
if they don't have land. And God says, you get no land. Right? So that presents a very real-world practical problem. They need a way to, to care for themselves. They, they need provisions um, so that they can support right, their, their families. They need to have some way of, of eating and earning an income. And verses 8 to 24 explains how the priests and Levites are to be compensated and provided for in all of their work. It's going to come largely through the offerings of the whole nation of Israel. They get a portion of that, a significantly large portion, in fact. Um, for the priests, the, um, the offerings, the, the people of Israel, right, they, they bring offerings to uh, the tabernacle and later uh, the temple. And, and for the priest, these offerings are then divided into two basic categories that they can um, receive offerings from. Uh, so, so, for example, you've got the most holy offerings, and, and then we're told there are also those that are just called the holy offerings. And, and the priest and, and the priestly families can, um, in, in different ways, partake of those, those offerings. Now, the, uh, the most holy offerings consisted of things like uh, the grain offering and uh, the sin offering and the guilt offering that you, you read about in uh, the book of Leviticus. This would have consisted of things like flour and oil and frankincense, bulls, lambs, uh, birds, like pigeons and turtle doves. You know, that would have been an offering somebody brings if they... They don't, they're not very wealthy, right? So they can't afford a, a lamb or a bull or something like that. So they bring a, a pigeon or a, a turtle dove. But th these are all the different kinds of things that would be um, considered part of the, the grain offerings, sin offerings, and, and guilt offerings. And, and the priests were to take a memorial portion of these offerings to burn to the Lord, and then the rest of it belonged to them. Right, so somebody you know, brings a couple of uh, turtle doves or something like that, right? You, you, you take a portion of it, you burn it to the Lord, and then the rest becomes your food. Right? They could eat it of, of the most holy offerings. They could eat these, um, but these were unique in that um, they could only eat these offerings within the sanctuary, and only the males could eat those. Uh, but then you also had, in addition to the most holy offerings, you had the holy offerings. And these consisted of similar things. Only um, with animals, there tended to be um, more specific parts, uh, parts like a breast um, or a thigh that would go to the priests. And uh, with these offerings, um, the, uh, the holy ones, both the men and the women of the priestly families uh, could eat. Additionally, the uh, priestly families um, were entitled to the first fruits uh, of the harvest. Right? So you've got, a, you've got a great crop, a, a harvest, and you're bringing this, uh, you know, a portion of it, the first fruits, as an offering to the Lord. The priests also receive uh, from that. They were entitled uh, also to the uh, devoted things. 
Um, so this could have included something like if, if, if Israel was engaged in some kind of war, right? They go into the promised land, they go into the land of Canaan, and they're you know, fighting with some enemies, and there are, um, there, there are things that they take that they're allowed to take. Maybe it's gold, maybe it's silver, something like that, or they're engaged in some other war with some other nation that's you know, trying to raid against them. Maybe it's the Moabites, maybe it's the, the Edomites, but when, they're, when they go to war, there would be things that as, as booty they could take, right? And um, the priests were entitled um, to these, these kinds of things, these uh, devoted things, the text says. And they were also entitled um, to all of the firstborn from the flocks, right? So when you had, a, you, had a, you had a firstborn, you had to offer that. The priests get that as well. Um, however, if the firstborn of animals were blemished um, or a uh, firstborn child was born, which is also to be given to the Lord, um, uh, they were to receive uh, a redemption price. Right? So, so you don't actually you know, take your son and give your son physically to the Lord, but you, you consecrate him to the Lord by uh, 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 paying a redemption price uh, for him. And so when you, when you had a child, uh, you would bring, for example, five shekels of silver as an offering of thanksgiving to the priests, which was at the time roughly the equivalent of around five to six months worth of, uh, worth of wages um, for your work. And so obviously, as the people of Israel are then multiplying, you could imagine how financially the priests can be supported from all of this. You know, you're encouraging people, um, have babies, right? And then they're giving their offerings. It's like, oh, what a glorious year it's been, right? Many children there have been, right? Uh, but, you know, there's an incentive, right? Have children, be fruitful and, and multiply. Uh, but this was how, one of the ways that they were to be uh, compensated by the redemption price uh, that comes from the firstborn children and the firstborn animals who are uh, blemished. On the other hand, this also helps us understand a very practical reason why offering blemished animals as sacrifices was such a grave matter as we read about it in, in, in uh, other books, like the prophets, uh, for example. Um, often, the people of Israel uh, come under judgment because they are profaning God's sanctuary with blemished sacrifices. And among the many problems with this was the fact that if the priests ate these blemished, unclean animals... Well, it would then make them unclean and they'd be unable to minister before the Lord. And so that presents a conundrum for the priest. A decision has to be made. I either go without eating because I can't eat these offerings or I eat what's been given and I profane the temple. That's not a decision God wants His priests having to make. 
Right? And so, so practically, that's one of the reasons why, among other reasons, but one of the more practical reasons why when the people of Israel, especially when they return from, from exile and are start, starting to offer these blemished sacrifices again, they're, they're condemned for it. Uh, not only does it show a heart that has really no concern or love for God, but it's also necessarily presenting these theological and moral problems that the priests are going to have to deal with. And, and frankly, because a lot of the priests were corrupt as well, they would just go ahead and eat and then profane the temple themselves. Now, um, obviously, it, it wasn't just the priestly family that was provided for, but it's also the whole tribe of Levi. And uh, verses 21 to 24 describe the kinds of gifts the Levites received. Um, the tithes of the people of Israel went directly to them. If you had a harvest, you would take a tithe from that harvest, and that's given to the Levites. If you had a flock, you would take a tithe from that flock, and that would go also to the Levites. If you had any kind of financial earning, you would tithe from it. And that tithe also would go to the Levites. And this is also how the Levites are then to be provided for. And we also see in the rest of the passage in verses 25 to 32 that the Levites themselves were required to tithe. Right? So they, they didn't just receive um, tithes from the people of Israel and then they didn't tithe themselves. No, they received tithes and then they tithe from the tithe. Whatever they receive from the people of Israel, they would then take also and give a tenth of it and give it as a tithe directly to the priestly families. And this again is how all of them were to be provided for. Again, apart from these, these offerings, apart from these um, tithes, there would really be no way for them to live. There's no way for them to, to earn an income. No way for them to, to have uh, any sort of money, really, to, uh, to purchase any kind of food from farmers who are growing all of these uh, crops. This was their compensation. This was, as God says, their reward or their pay for their work. They oversaw the tabernacle and the temple and worship. That's their job. They had to be trained in order to do that. We read earlier in the book of Numbers how, of course, at an earlier age, you have to start kind of go through this training. And then when you reach the right age, now you can start serving uh, within the tabernacle. They would have had a special responsibility, of course, of teaching the law of God to the people of Israel as they were spread out among them in the cities of refuge. All right, so, so again, you've got like 48 different cities of refuge where the Levites were scattered throughout the nation of Israel. And one of the reasons they're there among others, is to provide proximity to all the people of Israel so that the law of God can be taught to everyone. Right? So again, you've you got to think, 
They're not living in a day like we are where you just go down to the bookstore and buy a Bible, right? Um, or, or just pull up the internet and start reading through the Bible. Bibles are expensive. They require scribes to copy things down and to copy and to, to recopy. So to even own uh, a copy of Scripture would have been very expensive uh, on the one hand, and, and to have access to, to read it regularly would, would also be very difficult. And so as the Levites were spread out all across Israel, one of their jobs as being a part of this tribe was to teach the law of God uh, to, the, to the rest of the people. That was, uh, that was their work. They had no land, again, on which they could reap harvest and sell things like merchants. Their inheritance, God says, was not land, but rather it was God himself. And so God establishes this means of offerings and tithes to compensate them for their work and their roles in Israel. Now, um, I want to think uh, briefly um, at a couple of points of application uh, from this and, and think about how this ties in uh, to the new covenant. Now, um, one, one has to do with uh, what we saw this morning from Psalm 16. Right, so you'll remember that uh, there, when, when Christ in the psalm identifies the Lord as his portion, as his inheritance, he is alluding to what's going on here and what, what God says um, to, to Aaron and his family in particular. He's alluding to this priestly inheritance, which means, of course, that Christ is identifying himself as a priest. And one of the significant points about that is that he's not from the line of Aaron. He's not a Levite. So in terms of the um, old covenant, the, the Mosaic law, he's not technically qualified to be a priest. And yet, he's a priest. We also see something similar, of course, with, with David, right? David is of the tribe of Judah. And yet, you see within Scripture, there are times when he is doing things that only priests do, and he's not rebuked for it. Other kings are, but he's not. For example, when he wears the priestly ephod. Right? That, that is something that, that only a high priest was supposed to wear. And yet you see David wearing it. And that's because David, again, is a type of Christ. Right? He, is a, he is both a kingly and priestly figure. And it's the same with Jesus. Jesus is not part of the line of Aaron. He's not from the tribe of Levi, and yet he, set, he speaks of himself as a priest. How? Well, he's able to do that because his priesthood is from a different order, right? So you think here about Psalm 110, uh, where the exalted Christ 
is said to have a priesthood that is after the order of Melchizedek. Uh, going back to uh, the book of Genesis, when Melchizedek was, uh, was a man who was both a king and a priest, um, uh, and, and actually received right, tithes uh, from, from Abraham. He was a priest who in, in many ways was superior uh, to, to, to Abraham himself. And of course, that's one of the arguments that the author of Hebrews makes as, as well when he's showing the superiority of Christ's priesthood over that of the priesthood of, of, of the Levites and, and of, of Aaron. All right, so you've got, a, you've, you've got Christ here saying that um, the Lord is His own portion, alluding to this um, priestly role that He has and, um, and, it, and it draws us. It draws our attention um, to Christ's uh, status as, as a priest. Right? Now, um, another point of application, and we'll, we'll close with this one, but another point of application concerns um, how Christians are to use their own financial resources within the church. I want you to turn with me for a moment to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to look at this uh, passage together. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And uh, this is a passage where uh, Paul himself is, um, is, is referencing Numbers 18. Right? The, 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 the whole situation um, that's being described in, in Numbers 18. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And uh, the context here is that Paul is um, defending his right to receive compensation for his work as a minister of the Gospel. Now, he hasn't received anything from the Corinthians. Right? And, he, and he, he uses that as sort of a point in his argument, as a, as a kind of point of boasting to them, saying he, he hasn't burdened them in any way. Um, he, he had not taken anything from the Corinthians. He has no intention to as well. In fact, um, he has, to, to use language that he, he uses elsewhere, he has burdened other churches um, so that he might not be a burden to the Corinthians. But here, he's defending the right of a gospel minister to be compensated for his work. And I want us to just pick up in verse 7, and we'll read first down to verse 12. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 to 12. He says, Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does He not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Right. Now here, he is 
quoting the same verse, Deuteronomy 24, verse 5, that he also quotes in 1 Timothy chapter 5 when he's instructing the Ephesian church um, through the letter he writes to Timothy to show, he says, double honor to their elders, especially those who labor or who work in preaching and teaching. And uh, we, we were actually looking at this in our, our membership class this morning, but th- this, is a, this is a financial statement. Right? The, the idea of, of showing honor, it's the same language that he used when he talks about um, caring for widows who are truly widows. Right? They're absolutely destitute. There's no way for them to care for themselves. They have no family to care for them. It becomes, in that case, the church's responsibility to honor those widows. And you honor them by providing for them. And here, Paul's using the same language with reference to the elders, especially those laboring in preaching and teaching. And he's saying to them, show them double honor. And he quotes again the same text that he quotes here in this 1 Corinthians 9 passage about not muzzling the ox when it treads out the grain. But notice again in 1 Corinthians 9 as the passage continues. Uh, Look further down in the second half of verse 12 and down to verse 14. He says, Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the Gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the Gospel should get their living by the Gospel. The New Testament parallel to Numbers 18 and the compensation of those who are employed in the temple service is the compensation of those, we might say, who are employed in the church. The new temple. In the same way that the priests and the Levites were compensated for administering worship and teaching the law of God, the pastors who administer worship and teach the Word of God in the church are likewise to be compensated. And this, of course, is not a compensation that's supposed to be some wild, outlandish, Uh, kind of thing so that gospel ministers look more like those prosperity preachers who are flying around in private jets uh, everywhere. It's nothing more, that is, uh, nothing more uh, to to say, uh, nothing more than corruption. Corruption of the good commandments of God. But there's also an opposite error that I think is probably more commonly made. And this is an error that, one, happens when members of the church do not believe that they have any obligation to give. And then from that, number two, the church sees no problem 
with intentionally impoverishing their pastors. But again, what is Paul's language here? Notice, those who proclaim the Gospel should get their living by the Gospel. And this, he says, is a command of the Lord. In the same way, in other words, that it would have been a great sin in Israel for the people um, to withhold their offerings from the temple and thereby impoverish the priests and Levites, so also is it a great sin when the church is intentionally impoverishing her Gospel ministers. Now sometimes this error happens out of ignorance. Sometimes it happens from oversight. Sometimes it happens as an overreaction to past abuses. And then sometimes it happens in a vindictive sense, right? As a way of uh, punishing uh, someone. But I think the way that we ought to think about this, this whole situation is the same manner as we find in Numbers 18. God's intention was to provide for His priests and Levites through the means of His covenant people whom He would bless. And likewise, God's intention is to provide for ministers of the Gospel through the means of His covenant people whom He blesses. And we have to remember, right, that as a whole body, the body is made up of many different parts. And you're going to have people within, within the body, right? Some of whom, they, they own businesses, right? They're, they're producing things. They're, they're farmers. They're like the rest of the tribes of, of Israel. They're merchants. They have ways and means of, of, of producing and of bringing about uh, profit and, and crops and things of, of that nature. But then you also have some who are designated with certain responsibilities where they're not actually producing anything that can be sold, if you will. Right? Um, and so the same thing, the same thing is the case with, within the church. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a minister of the gospel. I can't sell that. Right? You can't peddle that. And you ought not to peddle something like that, right? So that's not, a, that's not a means of producing something that you sell and then earn compensation from. What is required for the gospel of the minister, or the, the uh, a gospel minister, is the other parts of the body, right, to provide those, those compensations. And so that's how we ought to think of it. The parallel to Numbers 18 is very much found now within the church and how the whole body works together in various ways um, for the, the spreading of the Gospel and the teaching of, of the Word of God. So I think that's, a, that's of course, a, a real practical um, application of this very passage and one that Paul himself picks up on um, to, to encourage, if you will, to stir on uh, the Corinthians to be thinking rightly 
about their responsibilities to, to gospel ministers. So those are just a, a couple of applications uh, to think through about uh, Numbers 18 as well. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll close uh, there tonight unless um, you have any um, questions or things you want to talk about or further uh, rabbit holes to go down. So you just let me know. All right. Well, we'll just uh, close with a word of prayer then and then the, the doxology, okay? Let's pray. Well, Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it um, teaches us not only about the way of salvation, but how we are to conduct our lives. We thank you for this passage in Numbers uh, 18 that in many ways is a is a type and shadow of even greater things uh, to come. Things that you would uh, do and accomplish and fulfill in Christ and in your church as well. And Lord, as we seek to bring ourselves under the authority of your word and your commands, we do ask that you would uh, give us hearts always um, uh, to receive the goodness of your instructions. Uh, that in the same way we see in Numbers 18 the heart that you have for your people. In that, on the one hand, all of these provisions you were making was signaling to them that you were about to keep your promises and to establish them in the land. And also, on the basis of that blessing, you would provide for those who minister within your temple and tabernacle. Your wisdom and Your love comes through in Your Word. And we are grateful that we can see it even in the days of the Old Covenant and see it also in our own under the New. And we ask, Lord, again, that You would help us to walk faithfully in Your Word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's uh, stand together.